Daybreak is almost here. It's nearly Sunday. Seven hundred years ago, a man named Isaiah wrote that the Messiah would come to Israel and be rejected and killed. Four hundred years ago, God stopped sending prophets. Thirty-three years ago, God broke his silence and an army of angels announced the birth of the Savior. Three and a half years ago, John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Three years ago, Jesus told Nicodemus that the Son of Man must be lifted up and that those who believe in him will have eternal life. One year ago, Jesus told his followers he would be killed by the Jewish leaders, but that he would rise again after three days. Last Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the people shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thursday night, Jesus was betrayed by one of his own and arrested. On Friday, the crowd shouted, Crucify! And the sinless Son of God was killed on a Roman cross. Jesus' disciples have been in hiding, terrified for their lives, not understanding what has happened. It's been a long two nights, but in a few seconds, the sun will rise. God is a good God. Uh, David or somebody, could you help me you know, get this board, the board out here? Um, <clears throat> this morning, we just so happened to be uh, the last sermon of the Next Level series, and I know that we've uh, probably got several visitors here, and if you've not been with us through this series, it's, uh, it's a series that we went through where we said, we want to go to the next level as believers, we want to go to the next level as children of God, and the next level is those who uh, read the Scriptures and understand the Scriptures and apply the Scriptures to our lives. And we said, if God would spend this many chapters and this many, this many words to describe the tabernacle and, 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 and how he designed it and, and the pieces of furniture within the tabernacle, we said, there's got to be something to it that is amazingly important. Something there that we need to understand so that the rest of the scriptures may even make sense to us. Because so many times we read in the New Testament where 
there are things, there are insights, and uh, there are examples and parallels to the Old Testament and to the tabernacle that if we don't understand them, then we can't really understand what's being written in the New Testament. And so we went back, and we went back to the book of Exodus where the bulk of the tabernacle is described and where God tells how to lay it out and, and, and the things that are involved in the tabernacle and the system by which he put in place that we could approach him, that we could get into his presence. And the tabernacle was the place where the presence of the Lord rested in the midst of the people. And it just so happens this morning that we make it to the final piece of furniture within the tabernacle. Now, I could continue on the tabernacle for weeks and months and forever because there's so much there, but I don't think that the Lord makes mistakes. And today we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And the Ark of the Covenant was the last piece of furniture uh, within the tabernacle, and it was within the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And I guess I should have kept that around here, but let me... Let me show you real quick, for those of you, let me just give a real quick overview. This is the tabernacle system here, and <clears throat> what you do is you come into the one gate right here that represents Christ. Christ says, I am the door, and here's the bronze altar where the sacrifices were made, and after the sacrifices were made, here's the wash basin where it represents the Holy Spirit and the Word of God washing us and cleansing us so that we could enter into the first room, which is the holy place. And within the holy place are the lampstand, which represents the church and Jesus Christ, the bread of the presence on the holy table, which represents Jesus Christ, who said, I am the bread of life. He who eats me will never hunger. And then we have the altar of incense, and the altar of incense represented the prayers of the saints and the prayers of the high priest that went up before the Lord and ushered him into the presence of the Lord. And we have here in the holy of holies, past this curtain, now there was a great veil or a great curtain that was 60 feet tall that separated everyone from the presence of the Lord. And once a year on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and he could make atonement for the sins of himself and for the sins of the people by sprinkling the blood from the altar onto the mercy seat. Another name for the mercy seat is the atonement cover. And that's what atonement means. It means to cover over sins. To make a covering for sins so that we do not get killed by God. So this is the piece of furniture that we're looking at today. We're looking at the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to look and say, okay, what does this have to do with us? And what is the presence of God? How does it, how does it affect us now? Where is the presence of God now? Can we tap into that presence? Can we come into that presence? Is the presence of God something that we have to plead for and long for and go to? Or does the presence of God come to us? That's what we're going to look at today. And I want to, I want to show you some things that the Lord has shown me. And if you can see these things like God has outlined them and laid them out for us, I believe that it would make a significant change in your life. Because what I want to show you today and what I want to tell you today is that we spend an awful lot of time asking for things that we already have. We spend an awful lot of times asking God to do things that he's already done. And we should be enjoying them already, but instead we're sitting pleading for the thing that is in our hands. When really we just need to put it into practice. That's what we want to look at today. And how this lines up with Easter is amazingly simple. 
the, resurre- the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what makes everything that I'm going to teach you today possible. That video right there has always been moving to me, but I'm telling you right now that the fact that Jesus Christ rose on the third day, you heard it say that they were, and the book of John tells us as well that the, the, his brothers, his disciples were locked in the upper room for fear of the Jews. A lot of you are afraid today. You're afraid to be who God has called you to be. You're afraid to, you're afraid to step out on faith. You're afraid to let go of your sins. You're afraid to let go of the things that, that bring you pleasure, thinking that you're going to lose. You're afraid because you think that, that without these things you won't be happy and that you'll be victorious less. But I'm telling you that the only victory is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and through that victory comes our freedom and our fulfillment. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would just open up our eyes today. I pray, Lord, that you would ravage our hearts, that you would show us something today that would move us into a relationship with you, into a reality with you, into your presence so much so that it would change everything about our lives. I'm so tired, God, of not walking in the power that I know exists within me. I'm so tired of wondering what it would be like to be set free from the sins that so easily entangle and hinder me from doing what you have called me to do. God, why do I so often wonder and long for the thing that is inside of me? How, God, show us how, God, today to press into you, to press into your reality, to live as if we are victorious, knowing that we are. God, help us to stop living as if we are defeated. Stop, help us, God, to stop living under the, under the reign of sin and as slaves to sin. Help us, God, to stand up, to get up, to walk in the newness of life and in the resurrection power that you brought to the earth. God, help us. So often, Lord, Abba, we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And though the truths are right on our tongue that you died for us on the cross and that you have given us life and that you have brought us out of the darkness and into the light, God, so often those are just words. So often we don't know how to act on those truths. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would rearrange our minds so that the wisdom would be the thing that pushes us and motivates us and helps us to take every single step. Help us to live in the reality that is your son, your crucified and risen son, Jesus. Amen. This morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter, we're going to jump around a little bit here and there. And you'll have to excuse me a little bit. I've got some kind of sinus infection that's just got my voice. But we're going to be in Exodus. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 25. And we're looking at Exodus chapter 25. And we're looking at verses um, 10 through 22, and uh, I think I messed um, Terry up earlier. It's not 20. You got it. He's in front of me. All right, good job. We're looking at the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 22. We're going to read this, and we're going to look at some implications from this text, and then we're going to move to some New Testament truths, and I want to show you how this relates to you, okay? Verse 10. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. 
You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. Now, we see there real quickly that the tabernacle, I mean, the ark of the covenant has specific directions. It was made in a certain way, and there was something inside of the ark of the covenant. Now, we're going to see that there were a couple of other things inside the ark, too, that is going to be significant for us. Okay, it's going to be significant for us and what it means to us and for us that we should live in. But right here, we know through Exodus that there is at least one thing in there, and that's the testimony that I shall give you, meaning that it's the Ten Commandments, the tablets. This is the testimony, the Word of God. So one thing that we know is within the Ark of the Covenant is the Word of God. The Word of God is with the presence of God and is the presence of God. There's number one. The Word of God should be so absolutely crucial and important in your life that you should love it, that you should desire it, and that you should feed off its every word. I, I can't even tell you the power that you miss out on if you do not get in the Word. But I've said that a million times. I pray that God would sink it deep into your hearts. You see, the Word of God is strong and it can set us free from those things that hinder us. Let's move on. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Now, the word mercy seat is, is translated a couple of different ways. Mercy seat being one of them, but another being atonement cover, or even another one being the propitiatory. Now, I know that's a big word, but what this means is, is the mercy seat was that which covered over the Ark of the Covenant. The atonement cover would be that which covered over the Ark of the Covenant and almost made it like a, like a coffin almost. It sealed the things inside. It would be a lid to the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was a box. Now I've got my blue, but I don't have my black, so I hope you can see this. I think it's pretty dark. So the Ark of the Covenant would have been a box, okay? Now this box would have been, you know, it would have been uh, a cube, and you, would, you could put things in the box, all right? So we have here a box, and in this box, there were certain items within this box. And over the top, I didn't leave myself enough room, but over the top, there was a lid like this, and it had cherubim on it. Now, this is not the scale, okay? <laughs> the cherubim, so which would have been like angels or, or uh, protective uh, measures that would have been over the, the top and this lid would have sit down on here and there would have been some rings on here that would carry it, four of them and so I'm, I can't draw that scale, I'm not a very good artist but this gives you an idea and we know one thing that was in there was what? What would we just say? The word of God. So we'll do it like this. Alright, so you got the Ten Commandments. Okay, and it's the stone so it is the tablets. <clears throat> All right, so we've got the word of God within the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God set here, and we're going to see that the, the glory of the Lord came down, and he spoke with the high priest from this point right in between the cherubim. Let's continue to read. You shall make a mercy seat of, of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Here's the cherubim right here. 
in here, okay? These are like protective wings that stretch out. Uh, make one cherub on, on the one end and one cherub on the other end of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings over, uh, above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. Now we could get into that, but I'm not going to go into a lot of that. We don't have time for that. There's some other stuff that I want you to see. So listen and pay attention right here. We're going to really focus narrow in on these verses and you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you there I will meet with you there I will meet with you and from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So this is where the Lord would meet with them. Let's do this a little bit differently. I'll take a bunch of time but Okay, so let's do this. Make this a little bit smaller. So we've got the mercy seat here and the mercy seat or the atonement cover had these two beings and they had their wings that would come here and these are like angels that would protect. <clears throat> but this right here is where the glory, and I don't know how to draw that, so it would be like the Shekinah glory, the bright light, the brilliance, the glory of the Lord would meet with Aaron or the high priest and it would tell him all the words. He would speak the words of commandment and he would say, this is how you are to go. This is how you are to live. These are the things that are to be important in your life. The word of God goes forward. Now, some other truths about the Ark of the Covenant that are going to relate deeply to us are the fact that within the Ark of the Covenant held two other things. We've got to go to Hebrews chapter 9 to read that. I want to, get the, I want to get the drawing up here so you can have a visual, and then we're going to go back and break them down. Paul writes in Hebrews, he says, Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides within with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, so we've got the golden urn holding the manna. So there would be a plate here. And you remember the manna was the bread from heaven. All right, so we've got the bread in here. We've got the tablets. Let's know what it says. Uh, it ha having uh, the golden altar of incense, which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. So you've got this. And then there was Aaron's staff that budded. Does that look like a leaf? <laughs> yeah? Thank you, Kenzie. Huh? Huh? <clears throat> what is that supposed to mean? So that we forgive you. So you have the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim and the glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We cannot now speak in detail. Okay, now. I needed to draw this out so that you could have something we could look at because all of these are going to be significant to us. And it's going to be significant to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? The first thing I want to show you is today is the presence and the position of the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God and the position of the presence of God at the Ark of the Covenant. You see, the first thing is, is that the ark clearly represented the presence of God. We can go back through the Old Testament time and time and time again. And when the Ark of the Covenant, Covenant went into battle before the Israelites, what happened? Anybody? 
They always won the victory. They always won the victory. If they, if they were careful to obey what God had called them to do, then they would always win the victory because the Ark of the Covenant went before them, the presence of the Lord went before them, and he was the one that gave them the victory. You see, you cannot have victory over this life except through the presence of God. Amen? You cannot have victory in this life except through the presence of God. Now, what we also know about the Ark of the Covenant is, as it went into battle before them, if they stepped out of line with God's word, if they denied God's word, then the Ark of the Covenant was actually negative, and it would kill them. We see that in the battle for Ai, when Achan broke the word of the Lord, and even though the Ark of the Covenant was there, Achan stole, when the Lord said, go in, ravage the city, take it over, destroy everything, do not take anything. This is the word of the Lord. And after they had destroyed it, God gave them the victory. Achan went and he took something. His eyes was, was, was laid on something and he said, my, my heart desired it. So often we kill ourselves and we break ourselves because our eyes are laid on something and we want it. The desires of the flesh are the downfall to our souls so often. You see, the presence of the Lord was always there. The truth of the matter is, the presence of the Lord was there, and the victory was at hand. They didn't even have to pray for it. They didn't have to ask about it. The victory was done. It was sold. They had the victory. All they had to do was obey the Lord. But Achan saw something, and he wanted it so bad. And he decided to take it, and he hid it. And he put it up under his tent. You know what happened? The Ark of the Covenant was the death of his whole family. How many of you today are believers, but you've invited sin into your life, and the fact that you are a believer is destroying your conscience? Does that make sense? You know, I was a real good sinner before I knew the Lord. I could sin all day. I could sin all night. It didn't bother me. I was good at sinning. Amen? I could sin with the best of them. Didn't bother me. I'd be in a bar and smack some guy right in the mouth. Pow! And just smile. But now, I can't even tell a little darn white lie. It eats me up. Ugh. You know, one little thing I do and I can't, not to say that I don't do them. Lord knows I'm not perfect, but, but now, you know, the presence of somebody, you know, nobody ever told me when I got saved, and I use this all the time because it's true. Nobody ever told me when I got saved that the Holy Ghost will haunt me. He will. He's like, what you doing? <laughs> what, what you got? Nothing. Leave me alone. What, what you got? What are you doing over there? presence of the Lord would go before the people but if they were if they ever had any sin in their life it would find them out and it would come and it would crush them the ark of the covenant was the presence of the Lord you see God met with the high priest from above the mercy seat or the atonement cover so <clears throat> here's what I want to say about these things right here now when I first read, read these things and you read it in Hebrews and these things were in there I'm looking at it going well, I don't really understand what this has got to do with me. I mean, do you? I'm looking at it going, all right, there's a stick with leaves, a couple of rocks, and some stale bread. Got it? But it's absolutely significant because, see, these, 
these are, have twofold. Now, the Lord just showed me some of this this morning. I didn't see. I saw part of the message what I was going to give you, but then he opened my eyes to some things, so I'll share that with you. I don't know what time it is, but it's Easter, so I can go to like five, right? Like five, five, six, you know. We got lights. Um, so the Shekinah glory would come down. Now, remember, the, there was only one person who could meet with the presence of the Lord. Who was it? The high priest, okay, we know Jesus is the high priest, so uh, Aaron or whoever the high priest at that time would come in, and the, the glory of the Lord, now he, he couldn't just come in straight up on the glory of the Lord. You know how he had to come in, and I could go and read all of this. Let me give you some chapters in the Bible, just, and some of you, you know, know you may not care, but some of you have been here for a while. Go and read, write them down real quick, because I got to go. Exodus chapter 16, some of you writing, come on, hurry. Exodus chapter 16, Numbers chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 7. All right, let's move on. You got that? All right, it'll come up again in just a second. <clears throat> what we see is, is that before, now this is Numbers chapter uh, 16 and 17, when, when Aaron would come in to, through the veil, now the veil separated everyone. It, you couldn't even come, you could come into the holy place, the priest could come into the holy place, but only the high priest could come in to the most holies and only one time a year when he was bringing the sacrifice. And what he would do is he would come on and he would actually pour blood all over the top of the mercy seat. The tabernacle was a bloody, bloody place. I can only imagine the smell. So he would blow, pour blood all over the top of the mercy seat, and what would happen is the blood would run down, and it would cover the mercy seat. And the mercy seat would cover the Ark of the Covenant, and it would cover these things that were in there. So are these good things? Are these bad things? Are these new? What are these things represented? All right, so let's move now uh, to... The second thing I want to show you. So we know the presence and the position. So we know that the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of the Lord. And the position of the presence was where? Behind the veil. So nobody could get to it. Nobody could get to the presence of the Lord except the high priest once a year could come into the presence. How many of you would love to be in the presence of the Lord? Isn't it good to be in the presence of the Lord? What happens when you're not in the presence of the Lord? You act like crazy nut jobs. <laughs> You know, because you are. And the only thing maintaining you as a productive member of society is God's hand. We're all a breath away from being something I can't even say. Not in here anyway. I'm telling you right now, God took his hand off of you. You know, we look down on the crackhead. We look down on the porn addict. We look down on the, on the adulterer. We look down on the guy who spends 95 hours a week to neglect, at work to neglect his kids. We look down on him. We look down on him. We look down on him. You know what we need to do? We need to look at him and lift him up. Because every single one of us were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy. You see, there is no reason. There is no difference in you. You know, we want to stand up like we're high and mighty, like we made some money, like we've had some success, like we got some new clothes, you know. I got me some kicks. We're looking down on somebody. You, you fool. I'm a fool for doing that because all God would have to do is say, no grace for you. And we would be right there in that position, begging from the streets. I promise. I promise you that right there. We're all broken. We're all broken. And it's only the presence and the grace and the mercy of the Lord that keeps us and holds us. That's true. It's true. So we know that we need the presence of the Lord. But at this time, when we look at the tabernacle, it's hidden behind the veil. 
We'll get to that later. The second thing I want to show you is the items and the indictments. The items within the tabernacle. Now, I made these all just for everybody, you know, just to show that we are part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I got all these with the same letters, okay? Two P's for the first point, two I's for the second point, and two F's for the third point. How you like that? Huh? I went to extremes today. <clears throat> so, we've got the presence and the position. Remember those two. And number two, we've got the items and the indictments. The items and the indictments. Now, what I mean by that is we've got three items within the Ark of the Covenant, and we've got three different indictments against mankind. If you don't know what an indictment means, it's a charge. It's a charge against you. It is, it is a rendering of guilt to you because of something you've done. If I was to make an indictment toward you, I would say, you sinned against me, and that is an accusation against you, okay? So what I would say that these represent are three failures of mankind. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Number one, the, the items and indictments, the first one is the golden manna, or the manna represented, it repre, <laughs> represented, it, it represented the distrust of the people. Now, I don't have time to go back and read all of it, and you remember in Exodus chapter 16, we preached a message on this not too long ago, when Moses was leading the people out of, uh, out, of the, out of Egypt, actually, and they were in the wilderness, and the people kept mumbling and groaning and complaining, oh, Moses, we should have just stayed. We should have just stayed. We don't even have anything to eat. We don't even have anything to eat. <clears throat> and the Lord rained down bread from heaven, enough for them so that they could eat that day, and they would eat the next day. They couldn't pick up more than they could do, but they had to go out. They would get the food. He supplied their daily need. Give us this day our daily bread. He did that. And then on Friday, he would supply a double supplies so that they wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath. He rained down bread. Now, why did he rain down the bread? And what does the bread here stand for? Listen in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain, the bread, rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Key word is walk. You see, they had another way. God was wanting them to walk this way. God was wanting them to do it a certain way. So, uh, they, but they, they had another way. So this represented the distrust of the people. They had another way. He was going to test them to see whether or not they would walk his way, but they had another way because they distrusted God. They said, God, you should have just sent us back. Moses, you should have never gotten us out. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you brought us out here. There had to be another way. Why? Why? It was a land flowing with milk and honey, but you've brought us out in here to the desert where our mouths are dry and we're hungry. God didn't, wasn't there another way? And God said, this is the way. Why don't you trust me? This represented the distrust of the people. I don't know if you're logical minded enough to see where we're going here. This would cover over this. The second was the tablets. Look at Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7 tells us this. 
But the command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. The word of the Lord came and it 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 came and they did not obey. This was the disobedience of the people. He called out, obedience. He called out and he told them, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. He gave the commandments to Moses. And as soon as he got back down off the mountain with the commandments, they were running around naked, partying to a golden calf. The moment he leaves, he said, and then Aaron, the high priest, Moses is like, what did you do? And he's like, well, the people were like, we don't know if Moses is coming back. He'd be like, one of us, one of the leaders in the church going on vacation for a week, we get back and, you know, you done torn all this down, you got a cow hanging up. It's like, what in the world's going on? They were disobedient, hard hearts, disobedience. They would rather offer sacrifices and love and sing to a fat cow than they would the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. They disobeyed. You see, they had another truth. Distrust, disobedience. They had another way and another truth and they said, we're not gonna go your way and we're not gonna abide by your truth. We could care less what you say. How many of us have strayed and gone away? How many of us have looked God dead in the eye and said, I don't care what you say. You say, I would never do that, preacher. I would never do that, Brandon. I would never look at God and say, I don't care what you say. I'm going another way. Let me tell you right now, you do it daily. The moment that your conscience and the Holy Spirit says, get on your face, and you say, but I got to get on the couch. My show's coming on. Grey's Anatomy. The walking dead. Some of you are like zombies about the walking dead. Oh, I gotta watch. I like that show too, I know. So, you know, and that's just one. How many people are not here today because they got something else to do? I don't know. You judge for yourself. But all I'm telling you is, is that we often say, God, I don't know about that and we oftentimes say ah God I think I think that I'm not going to do what you say today because there's something I really would like to do today and we make excuses and we justify and we 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 you know kind of say oh, we, we you know we just oh it's just one little thing but you might as well look in God's face and say I don't care what you say get out of my face if my son if I tell my son and we've been having this battle lately. He wants to question everything I say. And I'm like, do I like caress him and hold him? Son, don't you know that I'm your father? And you can trust me, son. 
I do that sometimes. I mean, not like that, you know. But I'd be like, who am I? And he'd be like, now he's older. When it was young, it was kind of cute. But now he's like, daddy, can you trust me? Yes. Who loves you? Who loves you? Daddy. So why don't you do what I, don't you know that I know better and that I'm trying to help you? Yes. But now sometimes it's like, I've, I've said that so many times. I'm like, go get a shower. But daddy, I had one three days ago. <laughs> I'm like, get a shower right now. If you say another word, one more word. I only need one more word. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm serious too. And he's like, okay, okay. <laughs> I really do do that too. And I'm like, buddy, I'm sorry for yelling. It's been a hard day, <laughs> you know. You see, God is, God, you know, God is, the, God is the author. God is the ruler. He knows best. He's way bigger. He's, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's so much extremely higher than us. He can see so much broader. And my, me and my brothers on the 530 group met last Friday morning. And we were talking a little bit about that, Robert and me and Robert and Phil. And we were talking and we said, you know, it's something amazing to think about. That God is, you know, God is not spatial temporal. Meaning that you, God, you can't touch him. Uh, God the Father, you can't touch his spirit and his truth. You can't touch him and, and he's not right. Well, he is right here. See, see, it's even hard to explain because God's not just right here, but God is right there. Like he was yesterday and he's tomorrow. So God, when looking at your life, he doesn't even, he doesn't even really see you just right now. He just sees you. You know, kids, that's crazy, isn't it? So when God tells you to do something, you got to understand, he's already looking 25 years down the road. You know? He's already looking into eternity. He knows what you need. But we're like, I don't know, God. The third piece that was in here was, was Aaron's rod that budded, which represents the rebellion of the people. You see, Numbers 17, 8 through 11, and really number 16. Number 16, and I don't, there's no way I'd have time to go into all this, but number 16 talks about this event that happened where Korah and uh, Dathan and, and a couple of other uh, nut jobs, they wanted to question God and they wanted to question Moses. And they said, why do you think you can have authority over us? Who put you in authority? And Moses was like, God. And so Korah's like, I don't think so. Who are you to set yourself above me? I think I'm just as much a king and a prince as you are. Who are you? And Moses said, okay, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll ask the Lord. And if God kills you, then that meant I'm supposed to be here. And if God kills me, then that meant you're supposed to be here. If I was Korah, I'd be like, I'm just kidding, man. You know, this is Moses. This is the stupidest thing. So, you know, Moses is like, all right, uh, here they are, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here they are, Lord. And God tells him, he's like, look, stand back. I'm about to kill them. That's what God told him. He said, get back real quick. Get back because I'm about to kill them. And so Moses tells the people, he's like, get away from Korah and all those people because they're about to die. And Moses said, let me say it really loud, that if the ground cracks open right now and swallows you, then God meant for me to be here. That's, I'm not even making that up. And so it, it said, as soon as he got done saying that, the ground opened up and swallowed them all. And all the people's like, oh! And Moses was shown to be the man that God wanted to be there, okay? 
You know what happened right after that? The people got mad. The people got mad. And instead of saying, God knows what's going on, and God has a purpose and a plan, he got mad. They got mad. And listen to this. But on the next day, this is Numbers chapter 16, verse 41. Wow, you are. No, that's not it. <laughs> Numbers 16, you can go to verse Verse 41. I put you on the wrong thing. That is my fault, but if you can't get it, it's cool. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. God showed them to not be the children of the Lord. They were liars. They paraded themselves as people of God, but they were liars. Do you know that, now I do not have time to get into this, but you know the New Testament says, if you have a so-called brother who lives in sin and will not repent, that you are not to even eat with him? That's the Bible. That means if one of you are claiming to be a Christian, yet you're cheating on your wife, and I come to you and I say, brother, I think that this is wrong, not because I'm better than you, but because I love you. Please think about these things. Your wife is at stake. Your life is at stake. Your family is at stake. Please. He's like, man, I ain't sinning. And he calls himself a Christian. You are to put him out of the church. You're not even to talk to him. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. I might have just blew some of y'all's minds. This is where that comes in. God says, these people right here are not my people. But the, peop the other people, the congregation that was watching, the next day came in and said, Moses. Now the same Moses that God just proved to be the man of God came to Moses and said, you killed them. You're about death, not life. You killed God's people. But we know they weren't God's people because God killed them. And he said, you killed God's people. So God is life, God is life, but what we, what they did was said that God is death and there is another life. You see how they accused God of death. They accused God of killing. They accused God's man of killing the people of God. And they said there's another life, there is something else. They must have been talking about another life because it wasn't the life that God had given because God brought judgment what happened after that and the reason that the, the, the rod of Aaron represents this rebellion is that after that see when they said that against Moses when they said that against Moses they said you have killed the people of God you know what happened God told Moses get back because I'm going to kill these people they want to accuse my man. They want to accuse me of not bringing life and bringing death. Get back because I'm about to kill all of them too. You know what happened? Moses looked at Aaron and said, the wrath of God has been released. Take your rod, take your staff, and put the incense on it. Now, when, when Aaron moved into the holy, and this is so much stuff here. I wish I just had hours and hours. When, Moses, when Aaron would go into the most holies uh, in front of the Ark of the Covenant, he had to take his staff, his rod, with the incense on it. So he would take the incense from the holy place, and he would light it up on his staff, and he would go in before the Lord, and he had to take the incense with him, which represented the prayer, so that it would go up, this cloud of smoke would go up, and it would darken the presence of the Lord because he couldn't handle it. So his, his entry into the presence, now this is extra, this is free, no extra charge, his entry into the presence, 
presence of God had to be predicated by the prayers or the incense. If you go before the Lord without praying, you will die. Come on, man. What's wrong with y'all? But if you pray and you seek the Lord and as the incense of your prayers raises up, you can stand in the presence of the Lord and be blessed and blessed and blessed. And so Moses, see, God said, stand back, they're dead. Stand back, they're dead. They've questioned me. They've questioned my word and they have accused me of bringing death. Stand back, I'm gonna kill him. Moses looks at Aaron and says, quick, get the incense on the end of your staff, run into the midst of the people and offer intercessory prayer for them, atonement for them, atone for their sins because God's gonna kill them. God's gonna kill them. And Aaron grabs the staff and he runs into the middle of them and he raises it and the incense goes up to the heavens and it says, and the plague had already begun and it says that he stopped. Aaron's rod represents life. And there's a whole, you go to Numbers chapter 17 and it talks about, after that, now 14,000 people died. When they questioned God, and they questioned God's man, and they, 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 they accused God of being death, God showed them what death was. 14,000, I think 14,460 people, over 14,000 people died that day. When God opened up his wrath onto the people. And the only reason more didn't die is because Moses sent Aaron into the midst of the people to raise up the prayers, the incense, and the Lord stopped. The Lord stopped. He said, offer atonement for the people. And then he said, go and get all the tribes to bring all their staffs in and bring them into the tent of meeting and we will see where the life comes from. And all the staffs stayed dead except for Aaron's and it came to life. And it said, on the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted, put forth buds, produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. It was alive. It was alive. And he says, I'm not about death, but I'm about life, but you turn from me. Your distrust, your disobedience, and your rebellion has taken you far from me, and it has created a veil that you cannot even see me. You cannot stand in my presence But you see, God had provided a way for him to be among his people through the high priest because his glory glory would come down and it would rest above the mercy seat or the atonement cover which would cover the sins of the people and he would rest between the cherubim and he would come down and he would speak to them because after Aaron would come in and he would pour the blood all over the atonement cover, this blood and this, this mercy seat would cover over the sins so that he could not see the sins of the people and he could hear Aaron's voice. Did you get that? that? Does that click a little bit? You see, God couldn't come down and speak to the high priest. He couldn't speak, uh, Aaron couldn't bring and speak to the Lord on behalf of the people. He couldn't hear the word of the Lord. He couldn't, he couldn't bring the people of Israel to the Lord because they had so much sin in their life. But the atonement cover allowed him to come down because he would come down and he would rest above the atonement cover. And when he looked down, he could not see the sins of the people because it was covered by the blood of the lamb. Come on, guys, you understand? You'll understand a little better in just a second. Number three and finally. The fulfillment and the freedom. Now all these are truths. All these are truths that the manna 
absolutely paralleled and was an indication or an indictment against God's people for distrusting him and finding another way. The tablets was for disobedience and finding another truth. The, the rod was for uh, rebellion and, and not following the Lord and accusing him of death and saying that there was another life, that God wasn't about life, that there was another life. You see, they said there's another way, there's another truth, and there's another life. And God would have had no part of them. You see, he wouldn't even have been able to atone for their sins. The high priest wouldn't have been able to atone for their sins if the mercy seat or the atonement cover wouldn't have been there because he would have been able to see the sins of the people and he would have never come down. But this was covering over their sins and the Shekinah glory, the presence of the Lord would fall and speak to the high priest. But I want to tell you something right now. Jesus Christ changed it all. Mm, bad wording. Jesus Christ fulfilled it all. Some of you will already know the verse. But Jesus says about himself in John, and I did not see this connection until earlier, but I, it's undeniable. Jesus Christ said himself, Starting in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, as we move through the tabernacle, what we find is that Jesus Christ is the spotless lamb that was offered on the altar. Jesus Christ is the one who went into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. He was the word of God that washes away our sins so that we can come into the presence of the Lord. Jesus Christ is the middle shoot of the lampstand from which we are birthed. And he is the one that provides the oil that makes us burn bright. He is the one that provides the unity that we cannot be split apart. He is the bread on the table through which we get our fulfillment. He said, I am the, I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats from me will never hunger again. He is the one who is the intercessor for us, the high priest who prays out to God. God, be with them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. God, hear my prayer. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is the truth. He is the ark of the covenant that holds the blessings. He is the atonement cover that covers over our sin so that we can come into the blessings and the presence of the Lord. He is the fulfillment that wiped away the distrust because he is the way. He is the one that was completely obedient so that we could see the truth. He was the one that was completely, absolutely falling in line and submissive to God so that he could be the life. Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus Christ is the truth and Jesus Christ is the life. Amen? Amen. There's one other thing that we've got to do.
because we still have the veil. That overcovers all of this. And none of this is accessible. Jesus Christ fulfilled it all. You see, he said, not only am I going to make a way to cover over the sins, but I am going to transform the sins. I am going to raise these dead bones to life. I am going to take you from death into life. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And I'm going to write my words on your heart. I am the bread of life. And if you would eat me, you would never die. How do we see it? Can we get a little music back here? I want to read you an amazing text of scripture. As we all stand to our feet for the reading of God's word, I want you to know, people of God, what I've told you today, some of you have not been here as we've been talking about the tabernacle, so I hate it if you were a little bit lost. We teach and preach the word of God here as best as I can anyway, and a long time ago, well, I'll say a long time ago, a long time ago in the life of this church, I sat down with another church planner and he told me, he said, Brandon, you can't preach that way because the people can't understand that stuff. You can't get too deep. You got to stay surface level because the people don't care about the word of God. I don't believe him. Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And you might be the dumbest person in the room, but when the Holy Spirit speaks, you get wisdom. I might be the most illiterate person that I've ever met, but when God teaches the class, everybody gets A's. Let me read the Word of God about the veil. You see, because you are three inches away, from being the presence of God. I don't say that lightly, guys. And I don't, I'm not trying to waste words. I've only got a little while every Sunday morning, and some of you are walking around in the world wondering where God is. And if you're a child of God, you are where God is. You see, so often we say, God, would you meet with me? God, would you come? Here, God, would you be here? God, would you, would you be with me today? And the Lord says, this truth is solid. I am already in you. You see, we pray, God, would you bring change? God, would you answer this prayer? God, would you, would you change this child of mine? God, would you change this person? Don't you know that you are the change? When you carry the presence of the Lord into a place, things change. You are a bearer of the transforming gospel and glory of God Almighty. There is nothing like you on the face of this earth, child of God. And that has been made possible by this. 
And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to him and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. You see, the very thing that was keeping everyone from the glory and the presence of the Lord was the very thing that was ripped in two by the God of all creation who at his last day reached up and grabbed the top of the curtain that was 60 feet tall and three inches deep and he said, forgive them! It is finished! And you now can bask in the glory of God. The book of Hebrews tells us that through him we enter into his presence, into the throne room of grace with confidence as children of God. You see, the disciples were locked in the upper room for fear of the Jews until they saw Jesus Christ in his resurrection body. You know what happened after that? They were transformed. And they looked at the exact same people and they said, bring it. Our God is alive. Our God is alive. Your God is alive and this altar is open. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, if you've never been transformed by his death and the power of his resurrection, I offer to you today the gift of life. And I'm telling you that there is nothing that is not covered under the atonement of Jesus Christ. There is nothing in your life that you have done that can hold you back from the presence of the Lord because the veil has been torn. There is nothing that you cannot be forgiven for. There is nothing that you've done that is too big for Him. This day, would this day be the day that you are made new? If you never, if you never hear the gospel again, you will not be able to stand before the Lord and say, I never knew. Please do not stand before him and have him say, I never knew you. Come to the Lord today. Come to Jesus. All who are burdened and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. He will give you rest. Come. Come to the Lord.